Thank you for tuning into The World Game, a World Cup podcast. The podcast that will have everything you need to know about the World Cup. There will be recap episodes throughout the tournament, so you won't miss a storyline. Maybe there was a 90th minute game winning goal. Maybe there was some controversy. Either way, we'll dive right into it. My name is Peter Roman. I've loved football all my life, and thanks for joining me on this journey. Before we get going on the episode, I just want to once again mention, if you haven't listened to my preview episode, go listen to it, but also the migrant worker situation, my heart and my thoughts go out to the people impacted by the horrible human rights situation in Qatar that led to the building of the World Cup stadiums. And of course, FIFA didn't care or do anything about it either. So I'm going to do this before every episode. I know it might get repetitive and all of that, but I think it's really important to remember the human toll in this World Cup. And as much as I enjoy the sport, and this is the sport I love, the sport I've played, I've officiated, I've coached my whole life, I also don't think people should forget about the horrible stuff that went into this World Cup and... You know, that's the main reason I think that people should be trying to ensure FIFA gets as little money as possible from this tournament. But anyway, now on to the episode. Today's episode is jam-packed. We have Match Day 1 review from Group C, D, E, and F. Normally, I would go alphabetically, but... There's a certain group and a certain country that I think deserves to be the lead today. And that country is Canada, my country. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with group F and then go group C, D, and E. So it'll be a little out of whack, alphabetically speaking, but I think it's important. So the Canada game. So Canada opened up their World Cup with a game against Belgium. Unfortunately, they lost this game. 1-0 was the final score. But there's so many positives to take out of this game. And so I really want to do a deep dive on everything about this game. So Canada came out with what I thought was a pretty good starting lineup as far as trying to counter what Belgium does really well. They put, on a, they put out a lot of speed. We had Alfonso Davies. We had Jonathan David, we had Tejon Buchanan as kind of the front three. Davies ended up switching with Hoylet to be a fullback at some point, but at least to start the game, that's how it was. And in my opinion, that was Canada's best lineup, and they played like it. Canada was unbelievably good. They dominated about 40 out of 45 minutes in that first half. There was about a five-minute spell where Belgium sort of you know, got their stuff together and started to play really well, but... Canada was the better team in this game. Canada had almost triple the shot attempts Belgium had in this game. They dominated for almost the whole game. They had so many scoring chances. It was so frustrating. And they got the penalty kick. It was a handball on Belgium in the box. VAR told the referee to go look at it. He did. He went to the monitor, pointed to the spot. And it was Alfonso Davies who stepped up for Canada for the penalty kick. And unfortunately, he was stopped. 
and then the rebound went over the net. So that was heartbreaking. I actually filmed. I was filming the goal on my TV because I wanted to get my reaction because it was a big deal because Canada's never scored at the World Cup before, and that was just upsetting. And so it might just live on my phone forever now, my reaction to the miss, but it was heartbreaking nonetheless. But Canada had more chances, and actually Canada should have gotten another penalty kick later in the game. And so I know a lot of people were saying they should have gotten two, but I'll sort of explain why they shouldn't. They should have got one more, but they shouldn't have gotten two. Um, but they both have to do with referee mistakes. So for the penalty Canada should have gotten in addition to the one they did, basically it was a clear trip in the box. Larea had his feet taken out, and so should have been a penalty don't know why it wasn't i don't know why the var official didn't tell the referee to go look at the monitor because to me that was a clear and obvious mistake but you know sometimes you don't get those calls sometimes referees make dumb decisions because they're not always that great at their job it happens but the second incident was also a referee mistake but it shouldn't have been a penalty and i'll explain why so what happened was and I will be 100% honest. When I was watching this live, I didn't even notice. But the Belgian player, I believe it was Hazard, who passed it backwards to the Canadian player who got the chance. And then Buchanan ended up getting tripped. But the only reason Buchanan got tripped in the first place was because there was an offside call. And then people kind of stopped playing. So essentially what happened was the Belgian player made a pass back, which when the team itself makes a pass back, it shouldn't be offside. The referees incorrectly called offside, and then the trip happened. And so this is where a lot of people were complaining about Canada should have gotten a penalty. And it's like, well, no, because they blew the whistle well before the trip happened. So that would negate any kind of, you know, issue there. Um, the problem is that, of course, it wasn't offside and it shouldn't have been called offside. So again, referee mistake, but unfortunate, it happens sometimes. Nonetheless, Canada had more than enough chances to score in this game. Of course, there was the Alfonso Davies penalty that was stopped. There was another chance where Jonathan David got the ball in a perfect position. All he had to do was just do a layoff pass. He just had to roll it to his right side. Lorea was running in. He was going to do the Carlos Alberto thing and just smash it on goal. And unfortunately, David, you know, and I get it. He's a striker. Sometimes strikers do this. But he decided to take the shot himself, even though his shot was nowhere near as good as far as, like, a chance compared to what Lorea's would have been. Lorea's would have been, like, a grade A-plus chance. And Jonathan David had, like, a C great chance where it's like you know he could score from there but it'll be really difficult versus Lorea would have had acres of space to rifle that thing in so that was a play that I thought was a missed opportunity and then Tejan Buchanan got on the end of a cross and just couldn't tap it in it just went over the net so close and very frustrating but again I was so impressed with how Canada played. I thought Canada played extremely well the whole game. They were dominant. They were quick. They moved the ball pretty well for the most part. Uh, there was a couple passes that, you know, went astray. But nonetheless, they were direct. 
They were physical. They were really good at winning the ball. Kamal Miller, by the way. Shout out Kamal Miller. This dude was unbelievable at defense. He made so many perfect slide tackles. Like, if you're watching someone for a slide tackle demonstration, watch Kamal Miller's performance against Belgium. That was unbelievable. Perfectly timed slide tackles. Really, really well done. And, of course, Stefan Estacchio, I thought was Canada's best player. He was so good in the midfield, and it sucks he couldn't play the whole game. I know he's coming back. He suffered an injury and stuff like that, and so I know he couldn't. He probably couldn't play the full 90 minutes, but I really wish he could have because Estacchio was so good. He even nutmeg Kevin De Bruyne at one point, which was awesome. So, yeah, there's a lot that happened for Canada. Their performance was amazing. Unfortunately, they lost, and so losing obviously sucks. But I will say this. If Canada was going to lose a game, this one's not the worst one to lose because it basically is a good motivator, right? Where it's like, we played really well, but we got to do this again. And for good teams, sometimes they play well and lose. And so it's better to have that happen in the first game than in you know your fourth or fifth game, depending on how far you go in the tournament. So, you know, there, there's a lot of bright thing. Like, there's a big bright side to this game even though the loss sucks, and obviously the loss sucks. But Canada has two games left. If they play like this, I think they're going through. Because if you win your next two games, you're going through. And that's pretty much how it shapes up. All right, the Belgium stuff. So I just talked about Canada for probably like eight minutes. <laughs> so Belgium, speaking of their team. So really bad performance for most of the players. Kevin De Bruyne was one. He ended up getting the man of the match in this game for some reason. And it's funny, Kevin De Bruyne himself was like, I don't know why I got this award because I didn't play well. And he's right, he didn't play well. De Bruyne, watching him for Manchester City, he is so technically gifted and just an unbelievable player. Today was not his day. Some of his passes weren't going the right way. He didn't seem to have that killer instinct that he tends to do for Manchester City. And maybe it's just... He's playing with worse players, but I think it was just De Bruyne. You know, the fixture congestion, I think, might be an issue. And hopefully, for Belgium's sake, they need him to be better. If De Bruyne plays like he did today in all the rest of the games, Belgium will not go very far in this tournament. They need him to be a lot better, and he was not very good in this game. Fortunately for Belgium, their goal was really good. And, you know, I, of course, I'm watching the Canadian broadcast. I heard a lot of people whether it was the halftime show or like people in the post game. And they're like, you know, Canada really should have done better on the goal. They should have done this and that defensively. And it's like, well, they played it back three. And when you play three in your defense, when you play the back three, it has some advantages, but it also has some disadvantages. And one of the disadvantages is the space that you leave. Because if, if you have a back four, there's, you know, different kinds of space that you leave out uh, when you have a back four versus when you have a back three. And when you have a back three, one of the issues that can come up is that if you can exploit the space in between the center backs, or if they're too narrow, you can exploit the wide spaces. But what Belgium did really well is the long ball they played in was perfectly positioned. It was right in between the two Canadian center backs. And that's done on purpose to break the gap and try and just take advantage of the fact that Canada was playing a back three and Belgium did 
it really well on this goal because it was a perfectly played pass. Michi Bashuai made the perfect run, again, right in between the center backs, and he scored. And I know people want to say, oh, Canada should have done this. They should have done that. They should have done that. But, like, in my opinion, Belgium scored a really good goal. That was a team that recognized the weakness in the formation, played a really good ball, and their striker did a really good job making a run, took a good touch, and scored. To me, that's a good team scoring a nice goal because they have a lot of quality. And there's nothing more than that to me. I don't put that blame on Canada. I just put it at praise for Belgium because I thought it was a really nice goal. So credit to Belgium. They didn't play well, but they got the result. And in tournaments like this, you need to find a way to do that. So that's my really long segment on the Canada-Belgium game. And so the rest of these will be shorter, don't worry. But I'm going to rifle through all the rest of the games in the other groups. Starting with the other game in Group F, we have Morocco and Croatia. Now, there's not a lot to talk about in this game because it was a 0-0 tie. And neither team really had that many chances. So basically, this is my takeaway from the game. Croatia had a really good chance at the end of the first half. Bono, the goalkeeper for Morocco, made a really good save. And then Hakimi had a long-range strike that threatened, but was also saved. And that's pretty much it. There, there were some other chances in the game, but neither team really threatened the other that much. Croatia, I guess, maybe slightly played better, in my opinion, but that's I'm nitpicking at this point. A draw was a fair result for the game, and so that is a good thing for Canada, getting the 0-0 tie in the other game, because the way this group shakes out now, obviously Belgium has three points, Morocco with one, Croatia with one, Canada with zero. Canada plays Croatia next. So, if Canada, as long as Canada gets a result against Croatia, either a win or a draw, they will be 100% in the mix going into the final day. And for Morocco, obviously, you know, they're hoping they can get something from the Belgium game, but for Belgium, if they beat Morocco, they're through to the round of 16. So that's pretty much what the teams have on the line going in to the next match day. And I think every team probably feels pretty good about itself. Belgium didn't play well, but they got the win. Canada played well, but didn't get the win. But they feel pretty good that they can probably get a win in the next game. Croatia probably feels good. They got a point. And then, you know, if they get a win in the next game, they're probably going through. And for Morocco, they get the point, maybe you pick up another one, and then maybe you can seal the deal on the final match day. So every team, I think, will believe that they, they will be believing in themselves, to say the least, that they can go through. And so that's kind of the takeaway from Group F. And so again, not a lot in the game itself, 0-0 tie, but I think... Everyone feels pretty good going into the second match day. Next up, I have to talk about the biggest upset so far. We're going back to Group C, and we're going to start with Saudi Arabia versus Argentina. So, I want to talk about something first before we get into the nitty-gritty of this game. So, when it comes to the World Cup, one of the things that I think is one of the most appealing things about the World Cup is just the magic of the cup. Because 
you know, there haven't been that many teams that have actually won the whole thing. But if you look at the number of teams that have competed in this thing, and more importantly, that have gotten big, dramatic, emotional moments or wins, the answer is really high. And that's kind of what the World Cup is about. The World Cup, for some countries, is about winning. For other countries, it's about moments. It's about it's about opportunities. It's about having a chance to celebrate, to come together, and to really, you know, just have fun and enjoy this sport. There's a reason it's called the World Game. And, you know, that's not just, I'm not just saying that because it's the name of my podcast. I genuinely mean that. But for Saudi Arabia, Argentina, this was the biggest win in Saudi Arabia history and the biggest upset, in my opinion, since 2002. In 2002, France played Senegal. Senegal were making their tournament debut. They had never been at the World Cup before. And France were the world champions. They won the World Cup in 1998. And they had players like Thierry Henry, Zinedine Zidane. And, you know, like you can literally just run down, you know, yeah, anyone who's played FIFA knows like, you know, half the legends on that team. But like, you know, Marcel Desailly and Petit and just, they had so many good players. And they lost. That France team lost to Senegal making their tournament debut. And that's what I compare this to. Now, Saudi Arabia isn't making their tournament debut. They've been at the tournament a few times now, but Saudi Arabia's never made it out of the group stage. And, you know, the number of times they've actually won games is very few. So, for them, for Saudi Arabia, to beat Argentina is an unbelievable result. So, what happened in this game? Well, Argentina started off really well. They ended up getting a penalty kick, and Lionel Messi stepped up, scored, you know, what he normally does with those. And then... Argentina proceeded to score, I believe, three more goals, but they were all ruled out for offside. They were all correct offside goals. And I know some people were upset that, you know, they called the shoulder offside, but you can score with your shoulder, and it's part of the rule. If you don't like the rule, you can you can complain about the rule, but don't complain about the technology making the right call. They were all offside. And so it sucks for Argentina. They probably should have been up 4 nothing, but they were a little bit offside on all their goals. And so... Saudi Arabia was in it. They were still down one nothing, and then they were able to get an opening goal from Al-Shahari, and I apologize if I butcher any of these names, by the way, but uh, Al-Shahari scored the first goal for Saudi Arabia. It was a nice goal. He basically took it um, down the byline. He had a little bit of space, shot a really good shot, low left foot in the corner, and that gave Saudi Arabia... The equalizer so they were tied 1-1 and then we had what I would consider at least so far in this tournament the goal of the tournament because Al Dasari again I apologize if I butchered that name he scored an unbelievable goal basically there was a shot that Saudi Arabia took it got blocked ball was played in the air he took a great touch brought it under control basically flipped it over the Argentinian defender's feet and he stumbles a little bit but he winds up for this shot and just lets it rip and it rifles into the top corner it is an unbelievable goal 
the best goal of the tournament so far. And Saudi Arabia took the lead two to one. And I think Argentina was just absolutely shell-shocked. They had, couldn't believe what was happening. They're like, how are we losing to Saudi Arabia right now? But for Saudi Arabia, it was a moment of magic. It, the first goal was a great goal. Don't, don't get that twisted. Great goal in the first goal. The second goal was just the absolute moment of magic. Player produced something from nothing. He really did. And so Saudi Arabia had the lead, and Argentina pressed. Argentina came close a few times, but they couldn't get the goal. And Saudi Arabia won this game 2-1, to one, the final score. And my goodness, the reaction from Saudi Arabia, to me, is very justified. But also, like, if you haven't seen this on social media, it's amazing. So first, the Saudi Arabian government called the following day uh, after the win a national holiday. So, you know, that's a pretty big deal. And then there was a video that circulated online. If you haven't seen it, please go look at it. It's hilarious. But basically, it's this group of Saudi Arabian fans. And after the goal, the second goal, after the second goal is scored, of course, they're doing what any fan base would do. They're celebrating. They're going crazy. They're hugging. They're high-fiving. They're running around. And then, like, two of the guys in this group go and grab the front door and take it off its hinges and throw it outside. Not a joke, by the way. They really did that. Please go watch the video. It's hilarious. They took the front door off its hinges and threw it outside. I mean, that's... You know, you're not a true fan unless you are willing to dismantle your door when your team scores. That's kind of how I feel about it. It's it's one of those things that just you feel... I don't know. There, there's just... You feel kind of good for for the fans, right? The fans, this is what the World Cup is about. It's about, you know, not I'm not saying this is about, like, taking off doors, but I'm saying it's about celebrations and joy and all those other great things that come with this sport. So that's what I think is the biggest takeaway from the Saudi Arabia-Argentina game. Really, really fun to to see stuff like that and... You know, credit to Saudi Arabia. They've never been to the knockout stage before. This might be their best chance to do it. For Argentina, the loss obviously is horrifying for them because, you know, Argentina came in on a massive win streak, um, undefeated streak, I should say. And now they're in tough. Now, fortunately for Argentina, they will be the favorite in the next two games. They will be favored against Mexico. They will be favored against Poland. They win those two games, they're going through, and it doesn't matter. But their margin for error is gone now. They were allowed one loss. They have their one loss. And if they lose to Mexico, they probably are getting eliminated early. And that would be just an unbelievable disappointment and embarrassment for them because this team has aspirations to win the whole thing. And they can still do that. But this was not a good start for them. And so if you're Argentinian, you're hoping this was a wake-up call, and they can, you know, go out there against Mexico and get the result they need. But we'll have to wait and see. Should be fun. All right, the next game in that group was Mexico and Poland. This was the game that I thought would be the most important, and it turned out it wasn't. But Mexico-Poland finished 0-0. There wasn't a lot that went into this game. Mexico had some chances in the first half, weren't quite able to finish. And the biggest chance of the game 
came when Robert Lewandowski got a penalty. And Lewandowski has not scored a goal for Poland at the World Cup yet. And so this was his chance to score finally for his country on the world stage. This guy has scored a ridiculous amount of goals for Poland in qualifying, but he hasn't had one in the World Cup yet. And he stepped up and took a terrible penalty. It was a side foot. It was... See, when you're taking a penalty kick, you either want to, like, get it in the corner or you want to go down the middle or you want to roof it in the net. He hit it low and kind of in the perfect spot for a goalkeeper. It's kind of that, like, in-between space. Like, about the... If you draw a line through the middle of the net and then you draw another line to divide that into two halves basically standing on that line. That's kind of the perfect spot for goalies to make saves. And so Lewandowski, terrible penalty kick, it was saved. Guillermo Ochoa, by the way, shout out this dude. He shows up every four years and turns into like one of the best goalies in the world for Mexico. He has an act for showing up in big moments. You got to give credit for that. Some players are big game players. Guillermo Ochoa is one of those guys. And so for me, the biggest takeaway from this game is just that I think both teams really missed out on their opportunities because Mexico or Poland getting a win here would have been huge, especially with Argentina losing because both of these teams will be favored against Saudi Arabia and will expect themselves to beat Saudi Arabia. So by not getting a win, by only getting the tie, I mean, both teams are still alive, of course, but I think it's a big missed opportunity. And so... We'll see if it comes back to haunt one of these two nations, but not the result I think either team was hoping for. You know, probably a fair result on the day, but it's not, that's not what you want. You want to win, so you put yourself in the best position, and especially with Argentina losing, you, you, you had a chance to win the group. You had a chance to win the group, and now it's going to be a lot harder to win the group. So we'll see how it goes, but that's pretty much the game. I'm not going to talk about this one too much the Saudi Arabia Argentina game had much more interesting storylines coming out of it for sure next up we have group D so group D I'm going to start with the France Australia game this game was the more interesting of the two games so this one at least early on it looked like it might have been another crazy upset Australia actually took the lead in this game uh, Goodwin scored the opening goal Australia was better than France for about 15 the first 15 minutes of this game they were the better team and Australia it looked like oh man this is going to be one of those upsets the champions curse here it comes oh crap France better watch out and then France's quality sort of came through and France ended up winning the game pretty easily four to one so credit to France first of all because again we've seen you know big teams lose this at these tournaments and especially the champions curse real thing by the way we'll see whether or not France is impacted by it. But France did a good job recovering. They gave up the early goal, but they were able to settle. They capitalized on some Australian mistakes. Adrian Rabio scored the first goal and then set up the second goal. And then Kylian Mbappe scored the third goal and set up the fourth goal. And that was it. Done and dusted. Job done. They got the win. Four to one. Nice little goal difference. And with the way the other game went, France are now top of this group. And so... For France, the injuries obviously suck. You know, I think not having N'Golo Kante will hurt them in this tournament. But France have a lot of good players. And France, in my opinion, there was never really a danger of them not making the second round. It's just a question of how far 
how far can they go in this tournament? And so Australia was not the test that will define this French team. Australia was a speed bump, and they dealt with the speed bump pretty well. For Australia, you couldn't have asked for a better start. It was a great start, and it's just France have better players. There's not, there's not a lot of like, oh, they could have done this better, they could have done that better. They're just the, they're just not as good. <laughs> they just don't have the same talent level. They don't have the same player quality that France does, and it's okay because I, I think there's only one country that really has the quality that France does as far as player selection. So, it it sucks for Australia, but uh, it was going to be an uphill battle for them at all times in this game, and it kind of was for the most part. And so, you know, they can keep their head held high. They didn't get totally blown out. They got the goal, which is a nice moment. And now they have to refocus because if they want to go through Denmark and Tunisia, Denmark and Tunisia are the teams they need to beat if you're Australia. Speaking of those two teams, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this game because it was a 0-0 draw, and again, not a lot happened. Ericsson probably had the closest chance in the game for Denmark. His, sh his shot was saved, but Tunisia defended really well in this game. They made sure it was really difficult for Denmark to try and break them down. Denmark just lacking that quality in the final third. Couldn't break down the Tunisian defense. They deserve a lot of credit for defending well, though. And it ended 0-0. Not a lot to split these two teams. Not a lot of great chances. So I'm not going to talk about it too much. But missed opportunity, in my opinion, for Denmark because they want to win this group. They don't want to be second. And this was not the start that they were hoping for. And so now they go into the second game against France, probably needing to beat them in order to win the group as opposed to, you know, maybe they could get a tie and then maybe win out on goal difference. But nope, they probably need to win now. So will be a little bit more difficult for them in the second game. For Tunisia, great result. They get the nil-nil draw. They get Australia next. If they beat Australia, they put themselves in a position to qualify for the next round. So great result for Tunisia. They, I don't think they played super well, but, you know, that wasn't really the point. You got the 0-0 tie, and now... You need to go beat Australia. So that's how it is in this group. All right. And now finally, the last group. We have group E. Between We had two games. So we'll start with the Japan-Germany game. Japan and Germany was definitely the more interesting game because Japan won. And for anyone who listened to my preview episode, now I get to gloat about something I said. For anyone who listened to my preview episode, you know that I talked about Japan. Japan is not a team to take lightly. They have very good technically gifted players. They're really talented. They don't have Japan doesn't have the one superstar name. They don't have the like Cristiano Ronaldo or Huming Sung or Mo Salah or like they don't have a guy like that. But they do have a lot of really technically gifted players. And this is one of the better Japan teams that I've seen in my lifetime. So this was not a surprise to me, but Japan won 2 to 1 against Germany. And again, not a surprise to me. Japan is a real team in this tournament. I thought, you know, there was absolutely a decent chance they could upset either Spain or Germany. Turns out it was Germany. They could still do it with Spain too, but they don't play them till the third game. And so it was a great result. Uh, breaking down this game, Germany ended up getting a penalty kick goal from Gundogan. Great penalty. He dispatched it. It was a mistake by the... A Japanese goalkeeper Gonda and that was pretty much the only mistake he made the whole game 
I thought he was easily Japan's best player in this game. Gonda made save after save. He just made a bad mistake, tripped the guy in the box, and ended up giving Germany the penalty kick. But Japan, they made their keeper proud because they went and scored twice. It was uh, Doan on the first one on a rebound that he ended up scoring for them. And then the second goal was a great goal. It was a long ball over the top. Asano took a brilliant first touch, like a perfect first touch, just brought it under control perfectly, and he was driving. Neuer came out, and I think Neuer could have done a little better with this personally, but Asano shoots it over Neuer. It was a great shot right into the roof of the net, and Japan within, I believe it was about an eight-minute span, they took the lead. They were down one nothing, and then they came back, won 2-1 to one, the final score, huge huge result for japan i said this was going to be the group of death because of japan and because of germany because of spain and i think it lived up to the billing this game this game was very entertaining it was a lot of fun and japan got a huge result a huge moment for japan and just like i talked about with saudi arabia you know this tournament right it's about those moments i saw a video of people running out in the streets in tokyo they were singing and dancing and celebrating really cool to see that stuff like that this is the stuff i love this is the stuff that makes the world cup so special and so that was awesome to see so for japan that result that game went about as good as you could have asked for obviously you know germany probably had more chances than japan did but that was probably always going to be the case but they found a way to get the win which is more important and so for japan they now go into their second game with costa rica and i'm going to talk about the spain costa rica game in here in just a second but Japan will be the favorite to beat Costa Rica. If they defeat Costa Rica, they're probably going through. And that is music to any Japanese fan's ears. Japan has made the knockout stage before, but they've never made the quarterfinals. Maybe this could be the year for them. And then we have Germany's side. So for Germany, the loss sucks. And now they're going into a very difficult second game. They have to play Spain. And not only do they have to play Spain, they have to beat Spain. Because if Japan beat Costa Rica, Japan goes on six points. And Spain, if Germany don't beat Spain, then they have either lost, in which case they're eliminated, or B, they've drawn. If they draw, the problem becomes Spain's goal difference, which again, I'll talk about in a second. But uh, Germany, it will be very difficult for them to make up the goal difference gap on Spain and so tying Spain in this next game pretty much assures that they will be eliminated so for Germany this uh, loss is a tough one because your next game you have to win you have to beat Spain if you don't beat Spain you're going home and that's pretty much how it is so it'll be do or die for the Germans coming up in the second game should be a fun one to watch and so that brings us to Spain Costa Rica I won't spend a ton of time on this because it's a pretty simple story. Costa Rica was one of the weaker teams going into the tournament. They played horribly. Spain tore them apart, and they won 7-0. 7-0. Not a joke. Biggest blowout of the tournament so far. Spain got goals from Olmo, who scored a really nice one. Asensio, Ferran Torres, Gavi, Soler, and Morata. Uh, Gavi, by the way, he's become Spain's youngest ever goal scorer. He's also the youngest goal scorer in a World Cup since Pele, so pretty good company, I would say. 
it was just an absolute blowout. Spain did whatever they wanted the whole game, and Costa Rica had zero resistance to anything Spain wanted to, wanted to do. And so, tough one for Costa Rica, but they're probably just gonna, you know, just enjoy that you're there, I guess. For Costa Rica at this point, it's, you know, could you win both of your next two games in advance? Sure. But with the way they played and with how their team is right now and the way Japan's playing, I just, man, like, maybe, like, I guess it's not impossible, but Costa Rica looked awful. They looked like the worst team in this tournament so far. That was such a bad performance. There was just awful defending. Kaylor Navas played really poorly. Like, it was just nothing went right for them. And Spain all over them. Very impressive performance for Spain. I don't know how much they got really tested in this game, but for Spain, it doesn't matter because they got a seven-goal difference, which is huge because it's unlikely the other teams will be able to make up that difference, which means you have tiebreaker on anybody in this group, and that's important. So that is it. That's all I got for this episode. We did group C, D, E, and F reviews for match day one we're almost at the end of match day one makes me a little bit sad but we have group g and group h coming up tomorrow so that should be a lot of fun can't wait to watch those games we get cristiano ronaldo's portugal and we get brazil in action so it should be fun and then we move on to match day two it'll be group a kicking off match day two and group b kicking off match day two on black friday so that will be fun to keep an eye on as well and so, that's all I got for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The World Game, a World Cup podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I will be doing reaction episodes throughout the tournament. The music is from Pixabay. The whole thing gets going on November 20th, so make sure you subscribe and don't miss a moment of the 2022 World Cup.